everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series one, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forge forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to positive education pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks to talk with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the fourth Positive Education in Perth Conference this October, and we hope to see you there. And today I'm speaking with Chris Shaw. Chris is Deputy Head of Ballarat Grammar. Her role has largely centred around the development of well-being and positive psychology implementation throughout the whole school, from pastoral care to classroom practice. With over 20 years of experience in Catholic and independent schools in Melbourne, Brisbane and Ballarat, and through both boarding and day schools, Chris has worked extensively on shaping and shifting culture within educational environments. Her role has been centred on extensive involvement in adolescent wellbeing through pastoral care programs and the development of sustainable positive education at Ballarat Grammar School. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Susie. Great to be here. And uh, as you know, we usually start uh, the interview off by asking you about your flourishing fact, that is what you do to support your own well-being and flourishing, Chris. It's, um, one of my absolute passions is being near water, and that, that involves just being near it to look at it, to uh, be in it, of course. And uh, I, love, I love to surf, and I love to swim. I don't get enough time to surf, but swimming is something that just I find very mindful in, in the time that I can spend in the water, but, uh, but also obviously for fitness. Um, but anywhere where I'm close to it, even if I'm staying somewhere, on a holiday or for business and I just know there's water there. I think that's uh, it's got to be the, the lifeblood that, that, that ticks me over and keeps me going, really. So I know that you are based in Ballarat, so I know there's no surf there per se. Um, so you, you get down to, I guess, the surf beach from time to time as well. So down, down on the surf coast, uh, down near Ocean Grove is probably my favourite spot because I'm not, the best surfer in the world. I have a very big, wide, flat surfboard that really you can't do anything but stand up on. Wow. Um, but uh, it's not that hard to, to do. But also I love paddleboarding. So we've got a paddleboard that we take out on Lake Wendery here in Ballarat and my kids love to kayak and um, be on the water. Yeah. Fabulous. So great opportunities for um, being in flow state and uh, I guess boosting positive emotions and there's a whole range of positive psych uh, approaches that you could be implementing, savouring there as well. That's exactly right. Certainly savouring is something that um, I love I love to do and I just, just have used even water as a, a standpoint for something like a chapel service at school where I talked about the the importance of water in my life and, and I did a slow motion video of, of me swimming uh, with a, a GoPro on my head and talked to kids about, you know, loving, loving their mindfulness that water brings, yeah. 
Well, thank you again for joining us. And I have had the privilege of, of knowing you and uh, having worked with you in Ballarat Grammar for, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I usually, as you know, uh, refer to Ballarat Grammar as the quiet achievers. Um, and I guess in recognition that you were one of the first schools that I was aware of, particularly mm-hmm. after Geelong Grammar, mm-hmm. to, I guess, make a commitment to positive education and to be actively training staff and implementing it. And, um, and I know you have now, along uh, with other members of staff, presented at a number of conferences, which has just been fabulous to have you share your knowledge and experience. Um, but we're really keen. We usually start off by asking you what brought either you personally, Chris Shaw, or Ballarat Grammar to adopting a positive approach. I think I was lucky in that I had um, read a lot about Geelong Grammar's early approach to positing schools and just at the same time I was reading about it and finding out more information, uh, a senior leadership position came up here at Ballarat Grammar and that leadership position was um, the assistant head in charge of wellbeing of the school and it was something that really resonated with me from with my background in education and in physical education, um, my area, my main sort of area where I started teaching. Uh, but the wellbeing side of it's always been really important to me and the pastoral care that, uh, that I'd worked in at, at schools like Avila College and, and Melbourne Girls Grammar. I'd had good opportunity to build really strong programs. So learning a bit more about a positive approach and just about to step into a senior role that allowed me to have um, license to deliver something was really exciting and so I, I sort of brought that to the school as as my my journey that, that I wanted to take Ballarat Grammar through. The upside of course was that Ballarat Grammar has always had a very strong wellbeing focus as a school and it really underpins everything we do. So even before then we were set up um, to just leap into it, the, the pastoral care model here lent itself so easily to a positive education approach. And then really we, we hadn't, didn't have to t- change many things structurally. So there were a lot of things that just made it ready for us to adopt early. And, and so it wasn't a huge question mark once we unpacked what positive education was. The fit was very natural for us. And so we didn't have to grapple with elements of it that we didn't think suited our values. It, it fitted very well with our, our school values. And because we're a round square school, we have ideals that it also fitted in with very well. And so we wholeheartedly adopted it and uh, embarked on working out how it worked for us. We wanted our own model. We didn't uh, we weren't going to go down the same path as Geelong Grammar. They have a, a magnificent model and, and what they do is wonderful. Uh, but we knew that to be sustainable, we must adapt something that works for our school with our values and our purpose, our core purpose. And I know you've been chipping away at that and uh, and uh, not just yourself, but you've got a team and I know Kate Brady has been uh, integral yeah. in that as well. Could, so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your journey so far um, from where it began and uh, and, and where you're at now. Mm. So our journey began with our heads of houses because that's where we, we wanted to look at, first of all, pastoral care. That, that's what resonated most with us that, that, that seemed to fit well with pastoral care and, and in my role as assistant head wellbeing, I was in charge of our house system and our school hangs its hat on our house system as our pastoral care model. So 
uh, we have heads of houses and a mentor at every year level who, are, who looks after a group of students pastorally, and, as well as academically, of course. But it, it was it was that that seemed to be the right conduit to give give us the basis to really start embedding this within our in, within our school. And so we started with those heads of houses in, in getting them educated, training them up, and very quickly we realised there was so much more in it, in it and uh, sought your help. So that was in those, those very early days to get all of our staff an understanding of what, what positive psychology was, was and how it could make a difference in the school. And that led us to then get our champions together, which is our POSED focus group or our POSED committee who meet regularly to look at areas within the school that we can continue to promote and, and develop both explicit positive education programs but more so the implicit because we, we came to realise very early on that you can't segregate it into a 30-minute time slot and tick it off and think that it's going to work. Exactly. We, we, we know that it must be implicit in all we do, the spoken and the unspoken uh, both measured very equally in terms of impact. We might come back to that, Chris, because I think that in the interviews that I've completed so far and in having worked with a number of schools, it seems to be increasingly that schools are recognising that whilst there is you know, a role to play for the explicit teaching, that, that that implicit is just so important and so powerful. That's right. And so I also, um, as you know, that often quote Chris Shaw and some of the, the learnings that I've had um, in working with you. And uh, one of the, I guess, terms that you used was getting clear on what your big rocks were because, um, as, as you know, there's so many aspects and so many, I guess, initiatives that you can take um, when you're taking a strategic approach to positive education. And I still do reference this idea of being clear on what your big rocks are. And I know for you in the early days, it, it, I mean, the professional development of the staff, um, but I also recall because in the early days there was a lot of misunderstanding. It was people really didn't know what it was. I know myself it's become so much easier in, in rolling out training these days than what it was in the early days. And I, I do recall you also saying to me that it was also sending staff on different PD events so that uh, they had an opportunity to hear from different people speaking in this space. That worked really well for us to really look at those, first of all, those champions, but then also target some other people who were just on the, on the fringe of thinking, what is this positive psychology stuff and why are you being on about it all the time? We sent a number of people away to different uh, professional learning sessions and, and they were then able to bring back things from different viewpoints. And the, the breadth of that really helped us share good good learning with our staff and so from that we gathered a lot of traction. We haven't really wanted to develop our own internal learning provision as a commercial arrangement. We have wanted to just share what we can get from uh, as many different sources as possible and people have let that up and it's been really great. And so they've come back and gone, oh, this is great, we should try this or we should look further into this and then somebody else has gone, oh, that marries up with what I experienced but I, I, I had a different tweak on it and we should try this. And, and being a co-ed school, 
one of the early things that we faced was, oh, that'll never work with boys, which was an interesting conundrum. Um, I've done a lot of teaching in girls' schools, and I know girls are receptive to to a lot of um, wellbeing-focused activities, but that's been a bit of a myth we've had to crack, that that boys will take it up just as well if you scope it right and, and put it in the right setting. Isn't that interesting? Because the study, I don't know if you do recall the study I did with North Sydney girls and North Sydney boys, which I've actually just presented at the Institute of Coaching just in the last few weeks. Um, one of the pieces of key pieces of feedback from the teachers that facilitated, uh, particularly the positive psych intervention, um, was that having a space and this, as you know, they are, these are public schools, um, and they don't they don't generally have a dedicated pastoral care period. So the principals and the teachers that facilitated uh, the program actually felt that in in that case to have a dedicated uh, period of time where these topics and, and particularly the topic of meaning they said really resonated um, with the boys, and that the boys actually were more open and were really uh, hungry, if you like, to have these types of conversations that they didn't appear to be having anywhere else. And they found that really surprising, um, that they thought it might have been the girls that might have been more open, but it was, in fact, the boys. I think sometimes that perhaps comes down to our perception as adults, Susie. I think sometimes as adults we jump to conclusions of what our young people will adopt. And when when we actually go ahead with it and, and really ask the young people what, what works for them and what doesn't. You're often surprised because we make those assumptions. The boys won't do it. But if you talk to them and ask them under what circumstances will this work for you, both boys and girls, you will get really good, honest answers and they all want it. But they will, they might want it delivered in different ways. And I think as a school, particularly a co-ed school, you've got to be careful not to, not to feel you have to deliver everything in exactly the same way to every group. Every group is different and, and that underpinning notion of relationships and really understanding that the, the, the people you're working with, that's your key to success, I think. Yes, and I know you said like the implicit is important, but it would be great to hear a little bit more about the explicit program mm-hmm. because I do know, again, because how many years in total would you say you have been running it explicitly for the students at, at Ballarat Grammar now? So really nearly eight years now. Yes, so you've had more than a cohort go through. And, I, again, I do recall that every year you said you had to sort of keep tweaking it and tweaking it to build on um, if a student had learned it in Year 7, then that needed to sort of build on it in Year 8. Would you be able to talk to that briefly and any learnings you've had around the explicit teaching? Yeah, sure. We What we started with, because the explicit is probably the easiest part. Um, right. As opposed to the implicit, that, that becomes a little bit more challenging to work out how you surreptitiously involve elements of positive education there. But the, the explicit we set out to use the time we already had, so we already had pastoral care time. Yes. So we looked, we looked at what, what was happening in that time, and there were some lovely conversations going on in that time, but they weren't targeted or planned or developmentally structured. So we looked at all of those and decided that we would come up with a curriculum for our staff that could happen in that time with, with what we call here as mentor groups. Um, yes. And that's still within their house groups. And we've had a system since 1979 where our houses are gender-based, so they're brother-sister houses, boys and girls. 
Um, but they, for their pastoral care, they separate for just that time each week and that's where we're able to um, target gender-specific things and we find that system works really well for us. So we're by and large a cohesive co-ed school but they do have just a little bit of time where boys are with boys and girls are with girls. And for each year level we came up with a theme for each of those year levels and then developed our curriculum around around that and scope that out through the year so that their mentor has explicit positive education lessons that they will implement throughout the year and work through a developmental pathway. And so we know, you know, by the time our year 12s get to their their theme, which is resolve, so we start with relationships and we work through to resolve, uh, we know what they've been through in their positive education program building up towards that. And I know you also have a very extensive outdoor ed program yes. um, and that you have been working on integrating that um, with the explicit teaching. Is there anything you could comment on there as well? So working with our outdoor education program, we, we work through the outdoor education group and we've been able to talk to them about the program that we have and the programs that they run for us and where we want elements of positive education to be focused on. So we've got our year eight camp going out next week and they their, their theme is respect. And so they'll scope out their activities with that notion of respect for self, respect for others, respect for the environment. And they, they will look at how elements of that will fit in. It's when you're out in the field, particularly on a camp or a school trip, that's where it just becomes magical, I think. I've just been to Thailand with a group of year eights and nines and we did um, both explicit and implicit positive education activities wow. going away and, gee, the impact was absolutely fantastic. So it really makes it meaningful, does it? brings it to life. That's right, and that's where the meaning is, is, is really, really valuable. Wow, that's wonderful, Chris. So what have been your greatest learnings so far? Gee, there's so many of them. <laughs> but I think I often say to people who come to visit us to get some ideas, be true to yourself. Know who you are as a school or an, or an organisation and lay down those values very clearly. Map out, I suppose, in a matrix where you look at what it is about positive education that you want to marry up with your school or your organisation. So look, look at... That, that, those positive psychology elements that you are, you are wanting and the reasons you are wanting them to cross over and just see where the links are before you even even start. Um, that was really helpful for us because that, yeah. that really answered that question, yes, this is for us. This is, yeah. look at all the synergies there, we, we will go ahead. We were very comfortable to make mistakes and we've made a lot of them. We've made yeah. massive mistakes, but they haven't really been mistakes because we've gone, oh, that sort of worked but let's try and fix that up or tweak it or let's not go down that pathway again let's let's try and change that so we've had a lot of learning a lot of great learning from it we've been able to uh, I suppose sometimes I describe it to our staff as organically wander through the forest which we have and we've we've been present at each point of this is the path where it's taken us now and we'll go here and here and as much as being strategic about stopping and sitting down and mapping things, mm-hmm. we've, also, we've also embraced wandering through it and trying different ideas, letting us build, being comfortable to build it as well. I think it's a really hard 
thing for any one organisation to buy one product off the shelf that is going to be uh, one size fits all. Um, Exactly. That's my best learning. Yeah, and I think that's the power of it really, isn't it? And it can lead to the sustainability is when you have got people that are intrinsically motivated and bought into it and they you allow them some autonomy, which we know is key to well-being as well, to have a say and to have some input. And obviously you're absolutely role modelling a growth mindset and that capacity to sit with failure and to learn from that. And, of course, that's part of mental toughness, which we we, we talk about as well. Um, one thing that I know was a big learning that I, again, often quote you around, um, and because you were you know, coming to this so early on, I think it's learnings that many other schools have now benefited from, was in the early days it very much was focused on pastoral care that I guess the positive psychology was bringing the science of well-being to pastoral care which is about well-being um, but I know that you had said that in the early days your teaching and learning um, I guess group or faculty weren't really they didn't really think it was relevant to them um, but now you've got a really fully integrated teaching learning well-being model. That's been really the the thing of the last probably three or four years that we've really embraced wholeheartedly in terms of knowing that unless it is everywhere within our school, um, then it will be a start-stop, tick-off item for our staff and our students. And so we made that commitment that in teaching, in learning, in all our aspects of our school daily functioning, teaching and learning wellbeing must be one Thing. We meet as a teaching learning wellbeing group. We set our uh, agenda with wellbeing at the core of everything. Every decision we make comes back to a wellbeing question. Of, uh, are we comfortable with that? We, look, we, we've sat very comfortably with PERMA, and I know schools have a lot of different models around yeah. PERMA that they use. Um, we don't stop with PERMA, but we use it as a, as a good cross-check for us. It, it keeps us grounded and we, we look at that whenever we're making a school decision, come back and does it fit PERMA for us? Are we covering all of those elements of PERMA? Yes, we are, um, and we'll go forward with that. All our meetings start with it, what we call a PERMA practice. We, we, we bring people to the table and keep them present to start their meetings. It's a busy organisation and most organisations are nowadays. We run from one thing to the next and so we have to make sure everyone's present before we start and that goes right through to our senior steering meetings where we take turns in in doing that. Our, we don't have prefects, we have school guardians and they now run a perma practice where oh, wow. each student has a turn of, of uh, bringing everyone to the table and getting everyone's minds where we need them to be before we start. So... Um, well, but if it's in the classroom, it, 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 it certainly helps as well. So. Definitely. It's so great to see that uh, integration. And I guess, you know, as you probably know, organisations or workplaces are, are looking to schools as, I guess, smaller organisations mm-hmm. to see what they've learned and what they've done successfully. And in the work we do in workplaces, we're still seeing, I guess, wellbeing or wellness programs. Whilst there's growing interest in them, there's still concerns about the uptake or them being presented purely as a a mental health intervention or a general wellness intervention rather than seeing the impact that they have around leadership capability and overall, I guess, uh, for teaching and learning and for overall optimal functioning as well. Yeah, so I think you've really done a great job. You have been quite pioneers in, in 
pulling that together so it's much more integrated. Mm-hmm. It's so pleasing to sit back too as the person who was having to drive it at the start to know that I don't have to be the one everyone's looking to now. I, I have so many people around our school who just comfortably go into a meeting and, and, and start it with a permit practice. And we've developed our own internal resource so staff have got that to jump onto if they need to and so, so have students. But to know that so many different people feel comfortable to pick it up and drive it, that's, that's the power of it across an organisation. Definitely. So, Chris, if you had one, I'm sure there's more than one, but if you had one story that sort of highlights the impact or power of, I guess, positive ed or positive for a student or a staff member or for yourself, mm. could you share one with us? Look, I think I'll draw on a recent one with this trip I went away on, Susie, because it is so fresh in my mind. We undertook to journal while we were away. We were doing a service project where our students were building a kitchen in a hill tribe school near Chiang Mai and uh, we had boys and girls and we told them at the start that we'd be journaling every day with with an intense focus on gratitude while we're away and we did that. We, We gave them space every day to do that and it got to the end of our 10 days away when we were trying to move students on because they were still wanting to sit down and write more about what they had um, done and what they were grateful for, um, trying to get them off to bed. No, I've got to finish my journal. On the plane, they were still on the plane. On the <laughs> Boys and girls still trying to write the last little bits in. And we sat down one night and we talked about strengths and, and did a strength spotting activity I have done many, many times in a classroom. Yeah. But we were in the most amazing landscape in northern Chiang Mai, after just having completed this kitchen where they had toiled really hard and we talked about the strengths that they had seen in each other during those three days of building that kitchen. And it, it, that won't ever leave me. It was, it was so powerful. And what, what they wanted to do daily after that, can we do it again? Can we do that strength spotting activity again? Can we, you know, that thing we did the other night, that was so uplifting. Can we do it again? And, and that's, that's one that's really resonated, being in the moment, being present with, students, young people, and having them really, uh, that's when I thought they really understood those strengths and they saw it in action. So, again, rather than just seeing it as an activity that has to be done, that they're really seeing the meaning and the applicability in it. And I guess the opportunity to see, um, you know, how other people live and the strengths that they're drawing on to live in in very different circumstances. Very much so. Where to next, Chris? Where to next? <laughs> uh, well, you know, we've been thinking about our school being that sort of centre, centre for teaching, learning, well-being, and that's that's been that's been the focus of a lot of our discussion. How do we make ourselves a resource to others to use in a way, you know, that we've we've enjoyed all the things that we've been able to gather along our time from other people, how can we make ourselves a better resource? And so we're looking really strongly at teaching and learning wellbeing across everything that we do, but to to a more, I suppose, more research-focused, more more outward-looking perhaps than we have been. And that, that the form and the shape of that, that it takes can take all sorts of different things, but every corner of our school we want to show evidence of teaching learning wellbeing. And so that's what we're, we're really focused on at the moment and hope, hoping to um, get our final blueprint ready for something to come out of that. 
I want to look forward to that, but I know you've already inspired so many schools over the year. Chris, and, um, and that's why we do try and encourage uh, schools, even if they're at the beginning of their journey, to come along and present it. And as you know, we've got the Perth College Conference coming up and there'll be other PISA conferences coming along because it can be so inspiring to hear um, for schools that might be at the very beginning stage as well. It's so, so true, Susie. The small wins from a staff member who's never presented at a conference but has a a wonderful idea that they've been confident enough to try with students and succeeding uh, are some of the things that I now I now have people telling me how to do things because they've <laughs> they've gone to conferences and they you know I've said to them you should present here and oh no I could never do that they've done it they've built their confidence and now they're studying their masters they it's great. Yes. yes, and we might we might just mention a special mention to Lisa Baker, who yes. um, yeah. um, has done incredible work in early childhood education, and of course uh, the publication that I was uh, fortunate enough to be involved in with Lisa. And she's um, quite for early childhood education in, in the things she she's doing, but she she's teaching many things, so yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. She certainly is a shining star, and so and if anyone that's listening wants to access that paper, they can email us and. We can direct them to that, uh, which is the application of positive psych in early childhood education, which really there had been nothing really published prior to that paper. So, Chris, we usually ask if you could share a resource that's been really helpful for you or for staff, maybe a book or a TED Talk or a podcast um, that you would recommend. Well, the, the one that I'm actually quite invested in at the moment is is Kerry Howe's Gratitude in Education. Oh, love um, Kerry. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's been really, really good to extend on my, my knowledge already, but the practice and the, the ease of which it, it, it falls into place when you, when you work through it, I, I think there's so much to be gained from, um, anyone having a read of that, of that book or, or hearing Kerry herself, um. Oh, I definitely. And, of course, she's uh, someone that has been uh, involved from the uh, very early stages of COSED as well. And I think what she has brought is that the much more academic rigour, uh, particularly, as I guess, in education, hasn't she, around applications of gratitude in education? Yeah, and I think, I think because it's in that context, there's so much about gratitude, that the context of, of gratitude in education, for those who are listening who are involved in schools or tertiary education, it is, it's absolutely fantastic. It really resonates with me, that, that notion of resentment and gratitude, not being able to necessarily play well together. No, you have to acknowledge where your resentment is before you can be truly grateful and truly knowing yourself that you are 100% grateful for something without resentment. So wow. that, that, I think that's very interesting. Definitely um, a large piece of self-awareness there too, isn't there? Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge and wisdom and I know I've learnt so much from you over the years as well and we look forward to hearing you present at another conference coming up soon no doubt. Well with our every hope and, and of course you know we wouldn't be where we are without your good guidance Susie so we're very lucky to have had access to you over time. Thank you so much Chris. Thanks so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series one brought to you by our sponsor Perth College, who will be hosting the upcoming Positive Education Conference in Perth on Saturday 27th of October. Don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.